Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Welcome, I am Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, and you are tuning into Canning with the Diva. I hope you're all doing awesome, and I am excited to bring to you episode number eight, Boosting Your Immune System with Asparagus Soup. Yes, my fellow canners, we are in the midst of the cold and flu season, and many areas around the world are still working to combat COVID-19. Now, in this and several upcoming episodes, my goal is to give you immune-boosting recipes you may create and preserve in a jar. It is imperative, no matter which season we are in, we must do all we can to keep our immune system balanced and give our bodies the support they need when our bodies are fighting things like cold bacterias and viruses. In today's episode, we're going to focus on how to boost your immune system by consuming asparagus, and how to create and preserve my delicious asparagus soup recipe. Okay, so let's start with some facts, and let's talk about ways in which we can boost our immune system through foods. Now, according to the Houston Methodist Leading Medicine and the Cleveland Clinic, vitamins B6, C, and E are vital micronutrients who play a role in maintaining your immune system health. So with that, let's focus just briefly on what these three vitamins do for you and various foods you can consume that'll elevate those levels. Okay, so vitamin C, that's probably an easy one. We all know that that's one of the biggest immune system boosters of all. In fact, a lack of vitamin C can even make you more prone to getting sick. Foods rich in vitamin C are things like oranges, grapefruits, tangerines, strawberries, bell peppers, spinach and kale, and asparagus and broccoli. Now, the daily intake of vitamin C is essential for good health because your body doesn't produce vitamin C and we can't store it. So the good news is vitamin C is in so many different foods. And again, today we're going to focus on asparagus being one of them. Okay, vitamin B6. Now that is vital to supporting biochemical reactions within the immune system. So vitamin B6 rich foods are things like chicken and cold water fish such as salmon and tuna. It's often why we hear the term chicken soup, you know, for the soul. It's, it's like nature's penicillin. Well, it's because it's loaded with vitamin B6 and other nutrients. Vitamin B6 is also found in green vegetables, things like asparagus, of course, and chickpeas. So those of you like me who love hummus, and I, I make my own hummus, um, that is a very good way to get a daily intake of vitamin B6. Okay, last but not least, vitamin E. Vitamin E is a powerful antioxidant that helps the body fight off infection. Foods rich in vitamin E are things like nuts, seeds, and spinach. It's 
kind of funny when you when you look at all of these. These green vegetables pop up in every single category. They have plenty of vitamin C, they have vitamin B6, and they have vitamin E. So asparagus is like a one, two, three punch against viruses and bacteria, especially in the cold and flu season. Now, asparagus is one of the most nutritionally well-balanced vegetables. In addition to the three that we just spoke of, it's also high in folic acid. It's an excellent source of potassium. It has fiber, thiamine, and it also has vitamins A. Asparagus is also rich in folate, which is also considered or called vitamin B9. Folate is important in red blood cell formation, and it's also important for healthy cell growth and function. Additionally, it helps eliminate free radicals from our body, which help us fight disease. So eating one cup of asparagus provides us with 17% of an adult's daily requirement of folate and over 60% of the required folic acid. So it's pretty, like I said, pretty nutritional. Uh, It's very well balanced. And it's something you definitely want to have on your pantry shelf, especially if you know your body's fighting something off. It's going to help replace, replenish, and, and give you the nutrients you need to get healthy quicker. Okay, so when canners think of asparagus, they often think of pickling it, which don't get me wrong, that's that's delicious in of itself. Pickling things has its own nutritional value. Um, the problem is, is they're not as easily consumed. Whereas a soup is going to be something that you can gravitate to almost daily if need be, especially in these cold winter months. So today's soup recipe that I'm going to share with you, it is a pressure canning recipe. Um, It will yield approximately seven quarts or 14 pints. And I highly encourage you to purchase a second flat rack for your pressure canner. That way you can double stack your pints and that's going to help you process all 14 or more, um, you know, at the same time versus you having to do multiple batches. Okay, so let's dive into the ingredients. You're going to want to start with a quarter cup of butter. Okay, now before everyone's head explodes, (laughs) I want to address a very sad misnomer out there that many canners cling to without fully understanding the chemical makeup of the food source, butter. So while it's not recommended we home can any dairy products, although many of us do it with great success, I want to make it clear, butter is not considered a dairy. I know, I know. Yes, it comes from a cow. However, butter is considered an oil when cooking, canning, and baking. Butter only contains trace amounts of lactose, which makes it very different from other dairy products like milk, cheese, and yogurt. Technically, butter is a water and oil emulsion resulting from an inversion of the cream. And just like we may successfully use olive oil in low-acid canning recipes, we may also then use butter successfully when canning. For those of you who have purchased my latest book, Beginner's Guide to Canning, you will see in the reference section on page 182 a source that I cited, which was written in a series called Food Science, Technology, and Nutrition. The book is called Baking Problems Solved, and it's by Stanley Colvain, and it was published in 2017. 
you'll find a lot more detailed information about butter, its chemical makeup, how to properly use it, especially when baking. And in there, it gives you the details that you can dive deeper in so that you become more knowledgeable of the subject matter. Do that at your leisure, of course, but just keep today's knowledge I shared with you handy, especially when you're coming up against those canning Nazis in online canning groups. (laughs) Oh, yes, I know we've all been there. You say the word butter and someone's head explodes. So definitely keep this knowledge handy. Share it with others because knowledge is power and it gives you that leg up so that you know you're doing something safe in your kitchen. Okay, let's get back to those ingredients. You're going to start with a quarter cup of butter, two medium sweet onions, diced, four celery stalks, diced, 10 garlic cloves, mince those, uh, one tablespoon of dried tarragon leaves, two teaspoons of sea salt, and the salt is totally optional, so if you're on a low-sodium diet, you may omit the salt, a half a teaspoon of black pepper, four pounds of asparagus spears, and you're going to cut those into two-inch pieces, and of course, remove the bitter white ends. 16 cups of chicken or vegetable broth. And the reason I say that is if you do not consume um, any meat or meat byproducts, you can use vegetable broth for this recipe. And then two average tomatoes and dice those up. You can leave the skins on, okay? All right, now, in a deep stock pot, what I want you to do is I want you to add that butter, the onions, celery, garlic, tarragon, salt, and pepper. And over medium-high heat, cook until the onions are translucent, which takes about 8 to 10 minutes. Go ahead and mix it occasionally to avoid scorching. Then I want you to add the asparagus and mix well. Cook it for 10 additional minutes because your goal now is to blend the flavors, okay? And you're going to stir that often. We don't want anything to burn. From there, I want you to add the broth and the tomatoes. Mix well. Cover your stock pot with a lid and bring it to a boil over high heat. Once it's at a boil, I want you to reduce the heat and simmer on low for one hour. You can go ahead and stir it occasionally, but go ahead and slow simmer that because the point is getting everything extremely mushy and soft. Okay. Once that hour is up, go ahead and remove it from the heat. Now, hopefully, you have an emulsion stick blender or some type of blending apparatus, the goal here is you want to liquefy the soup, okay? You want to make sure everything is well blended and has the same consistency. And you want to make sure whatever you're using has a sharp enough blade so that you can properly cut through every little stringy fiber of the asparagus. Now, if your asparagus is too stringy, it's likely because you have not cut it in small enough pieces and you've not slow cooked it long enough, or you might've left a bit too much of the end on, the end that's usually white or pale green, uh, the, the end that grows closest to the ground, has the most stringy fibers versus the top portion that is your more plentiful green in color, and of course the flowered top, that's gonna be a bit more tender. Also, another tip, Get the asparagus or pick the asparagus that are thin and tender, not very big and and beefy, okay? The the tinier in diameter, 
the more tender. As they begin to grow bigger in diameter, those are usually the ones that are picked um, either last or sometimes they're forgotten and they're picked, um, you know, they're missed. And then you go back through again, the, um, the crop lines and you, and you missed them. So you, now you're picking them a second time and they grew really, really substantially large. Those you're going to have to cut off the ends a bit more. Otherwise, make sure you're using a blender or an emotion stick blender, something that has very sharp blades. I know many of you may have a Vitamix. You may definitely use a Vitamix. Just one tip with a Vitamix. It purees and liquefies things so good. I mean, so good. Many of you are able to make your own soups right in the basin, right? Um, when you're using a Vitamix for home canning, you're going to need to liquefy everything and bring it back onto the stovetop. So you're going to have to put it back in the stock pot and you're going to have to bring it to a slow boil using low to medium heat. And the goal then is to remove some of that trapped air from the Vitamix because it really does get it frothy. You're going to want to bring that to a slow boil again and boil that for a good 10 to 15 minutes stirring often so it doesn't scorch because it really packs a punch when it blends. So those of you who are already familiar with using your Vitamix, you probably already have that tip in hand. But for those of you new to either utilizing your Vitamix or the combination of canning with the Vitamix, definitely bring it back to a boil, okay? Now, if you used a traditional blender or a stick emulsion blender, um, once everything is liquefied, you can go ahead and now bring that to the countertop so you may ladle it into your jars. So ladle the hot liquefied soup into your jars and leave a one-inch headspace. You're going to want to wipe each jar rim with a wet washcloth dipped in vinegar. The vinegar is going to cut through any residue that may have been dripped onto the jar. It's going to cut through any um, substances. Uh, it's a good bacteria killer. So you're giving your jar rims that last line of defense before placing a lid and a ring onto each jar. And then, of course, hand tighten. You're going to pressure can those jars at 11 PSI. Now, for those of you with a weighted gauge uh, canner, it's 10 PSI. But those of us that have a dial gauge, we're doing 11. We're going to process the jars. Uh, let's see here. We've got pints are going to go for 60 minutes. Quarts are going to go for 75 minutes. And you're going to be sure to follow your manufacturer's instructions for operating that pressure canner. And you must know your elevation for the required PSI. So those of you that are in Michigan like me or in areas of the world where the elevation is just, it's low, it's its average, we're not up in a mountain, um, you're going to do 11 PSI for a dial gauge, 10 PSI for a weighted gauge. And again, 60 minutes for pints, 75 minutes for quarts. All right, so just a reminder, once your canner pressure reaches zero, when you're all done, you've shut everything off, you're now getting ready to remove that lid. Let your jars sit for 10 to 15 minutes before removing them from the pressure canner. Once they have sat, and trust me, you're going to want to do this, you can then place them onto the cutting board to continue cooling. Letting your jars rest in the pressure canner will aid in eliminating any siphoning, and it's going to help your lid seal. For those of you new to pressure canning, when you are using a pressure canner, it is getting upwards of 250 to 260 degrees, depending on your elevation. And 
you know, things are active. You're going to notice that when you take that lid off of your pressure canner, those jars are bubbling and moving. So everything is going to be just to happen. And you want to allow the molecules to naturally cool down in those jars before you start handling them. Okay, so I hope I've given you um, some information that you can take and utilize when you are thinking of immune boosting substances and foods and things you can do in your kitchen um, and also to store in your pantry because now you have a delicious asparagus soup recipe. Um, if you're new to home canning, okay, and you're not sure where to get started, of course, my podcasts are, are a wonderful place to get started, but you may also order my latest book, Beginner's Guide to Canning. It has 90 recipes that you may can, savor, and gift. It's a great way to learn how to water bathe and pressure can. If you're looking to increase your knowledge of pressure canning and have more delicious soups and stew recipes handy like the one I've given you today, check out my book, The Complete Guide to Pressure Canning, everything you need to know to can meats, vegetables, meals in a jar, and more. Now, for those of you who are looking for recipes on how to cook with your home canned foods, right? You get it in a jar. Now, what do you do with it? Um, my independently published and IPI award-winning book, Canning Full Circle, Garden to Jar to Table, gives you everything you need to know and some amazing recipes so you can actually utilize your salsas, your jams, various pickled items in meal creation. Now, each of my books are um, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. They're in local bookstores. And of course, my website, canningdiva.com. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to our next episode together, where we're going to talk about more Im immune-boosting recipes that you can put on your pantry shelf. But until then, happy canning. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com. <laughs>